Look, payday's awesome, but running payroll, calculating taxes and deductions, staying compliant, that's not easy. Unless, of course, you have Gusto. Gusto is a simple online payroll and benefits tool built for small businesses like yours. Gusto gets your team paid while automatically filing your payroll taxes. Plus, you can offer benefits like 401k, health insurance, and workers' comp, and it makes onboarding new employees a breeze. We love it so much, we really do use it ourselves, and we have four years, and I personally recommend you give it a try, no matter how small your business is. And to sweeten the deal, just for listening today, you also get three months free. Go to gusto.com slash boss. that's gusto.com slash being boss. Welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creatives, business owners, and entrepreneurs who want to take control of their work and live life on their own terms. I'm your host, Emily Thompson, and today I'm joined by guest Ella Livingston to learn more about the chocolate industry and explore the idea of building and breaking legacies within our families, communities, and industries. As always, you can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at www.beingboss.club. Sometimes seeing someone else's path to success helps us clearly map out our own. It's why we all like business podcasts, right? Well, I'm here to share a show for you to check out the Female Startup Club podcast, an amazing resource that shares insights and learnings from the world's most successful female founders, entrepreneurs, and women in business. In a recent episode, I loved hearing about how Michelle Grant, the founder of Lively, the lingerie and swimwear brand built and sold her company for $105 million in just three years. Total boss move. So if you're looking for a new pod to inspire your next steps, listen to the Female Startup Club podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Ella Livingston is the co-owner and founder of a premium chocolate company called Coco Asante. She was inspired by her family's background in the cocoa industry in Ghana, as well as her travels abroad. Her business partner, Natasha Guerrero, joined in 2021 as co-owner and head chocolatier. Their goal is to have an upscale bean-to-bar shop that sources cocoa beans directly from Ella's family's farm. The shop will allow customers to tour the facility so they can see how chocolate is made and learn more about the inequities that exist in the industry and what Coco Asante is doing to make a difference. Ella, welcome to Being Boss. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have this conversation. I gave a little bit of an intro just now for the listeners, but I also want to say that I have had the pleasure of seeing Ella at pop-ups at the market. I've had her chocolate multiple times. I've bought it for a couple of holidays over the past year or so. Um, it has been such a pleasure to get to know you a bit, also your chocolate, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> to to eat your chocolate. I um, was at a session that you did at Common House with the Chattery. We've had Shawanda here on the podcast before, who is co-founder of the Chattery for a really amazing session that you gave. And once hearing you speak, because I've eaten your chocolate, yes. Mm -hmm. But after having heard you speak, I knew I had to come have you share this perspective and this experience with our audience. So let's give it to them. I'm excited to dive All in. Right. Let's go. Let's get it. <laughs> Perfect. So then to get us started, we like to start with entrepreneurial story. How did you get 
to where you are today? Oh my goodness. Where do I begin? Um, so I always start by sharing that, you know, Coco Asante is my way of extending my family's legacy. So I came from, um, oh, I'm from Ghana, which is in West Africa. And in my family, we have cocoa farmers. Um, and my mom would always tell me that growing up, but it would always like go in one ear and go out the other. I wasn't really paying attention. I, you know, I was, what does it matter to me? You know, cocoa farmers. And she would always say Ghana is known for having the best, you know, uh, chocolate, the best cocoa beans. And like I said, it didn't mean much to me until I studied abroad. And when I would say, you know, I'm from Ghana, the first thing people would say is, oh, chocolate. And I was like, wait a minute, maybe my mom was really onto something because in the U.S., like nobody really cares that Ghana is known for chocolate. But abroad, um, where um, quality, high quality chocolate is really valued, they know Ghana is a place that you want to get source your beans from. And so that kind of got the gears turning um, of, you know, let me, you know, creating high quality chocolate with, you know, the cocoa beans from, you know, Ghana. And um, I came to the U.S., kind of forgot about the dream. And then one day my dad was just like, hey, didn't you want to like start a chocolate company? And I was like, oh, yeah. So then I literally started. I got a name and then I started to look up how to make chocolate, right? Because I had no experience, no formal training. I just knew the taste that I was going after. After I had experienced, you know, high quality chocolate in Japan, I knew the taste and the experience and the feeling I wanted my customers to have, but I didn't know how to get there. So it was a lot of YouTube University, Google University, looking at blogs and reading through different like um, pastry chef posts. And um, on the business side, I knew that I didn't want to fail as a business. Um, the failure rate for small startup business is so high and it's even higher for um, women-owned business and higher for Black-owned business. So it was almost like I had all these checks going against me. So I got the support that I needed through, you know, local nonprofits that are here to support businesses. Um, I think they're nationwide, so you might even find your own local chapter, but launch, um, the company lab, um, different, the small business, um, association, um, incubator programs, any and everything I could get support from, I pretty much utilize them as a resource. And little by little, I mean, we've grown from me not even knowing how to work with chocolate to me now I have a business partner who went to pastry school in New York, who moved down here to help me build the business. And this is the first year we've been operating year round. And so it's been exciting to see the growth. Um, we also even just added our first part-timer. Uh, they'll be, well, yeah, we're going to be onboarding them in the next couple of weeks. So that's Congrats. really exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, a lot, a lot of growth has happened. Um, and in between that, you know, I became a mother, I'm still working full time. And so balancing all of that has been a journey, but I'm excited to see where we go from here. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I remember seeing you maybe at the market the first time. I mean, what is time? <laughs> I don't even know. I remember seeing you at some point a while ago. <laughs> How about that? Mm-hmm. And then I felt like I was seeing you everywhere. And my friends were saying, did you, you know, have you snagged some of that chocolate yet? Have you, you know, they're doing this pop-up over here. And even just now I was telling, um, I was telling someone locally that I was about to interview for the podcast and they were like, oh my God, I love their chocolate. Like, I feel like I feel like you probably don't even understand how much you have, how much your brand has grown locally and to see the trajectory that it took of like just sort of seeing around to now 
again, anytime anyone says anything about let's do a pop-up, let's do a market, are you going to this thing? Often, like your name comes up all the time mm-hmm. as a local well, I business. That. Well, you're doing it. <laughs> you are <appreciate> doing it. <laughs> Yeah, right? it doesn't seem like it sometimes from the inside, yeah. you know, out, but I re- I really appreciate hearing that. Thank you. Yeah, you're showing up. You have a great product. You have this amazing story behind it that means something. And it's a funny comparison. Um David, my partner David, who you 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 I think you've even said almanac. Like David and almanac yes. are syno- synonymous. <laughs> um he got some coffee from someone at the market once and um, the same market that, you know, Almanac's at and Coco Asante is at. And David got some coffee and um, asked the guy, he's like, so tell me, tell me about this coffee business. He's like, oh, I retired and I bought a, I bought a roaster. I'm just seeing what I can I do. I know exactly who you're talking about. That's my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. And David was like, oh, <laughs> okay. I mean, it's cool. Coffee was great. But walk up to someone who is selling chocolate and they have this amazing story of their family and them getting into this family business and um, and all the things like there's a difference. There is mm-hmm. a difference that that happens um, whenever you are bringing this amazing story, not just necessarily not that like an interesting hobby isn't something you can base a business on. Um, but there is this strength and longevity that comes from not only the story, but also a really great product. And I think that you're doing that. Um, so I appreciate it. High five. High five. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Before we get into some nuts and bolts things, because I want to dig into a couple of these story things and really get into one of the things that I have found most interesting about your story, um, I want to get to the something that is also incredibly interesting, and that is simply the chocolate industry. Because mm-hmm. I, I told you before, I eat chocolate every single day. Like it's a daily ritual that I have that at about two or three, I feel myself going, I'm missing something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm missing something from my life. And so I'll go to my chocolate stash. I have one in all of my workspaces. I have one oh, here. that is so great. I have some here in my office. I have some at home. Like I have my chocolate stashes. I'll go get a single piece of chocolate snack on it and then go about my day. It's like my like afternoon coffee or whatever. Anyway. Mm -hmm. And I feel like most bosses have some sort of similar ritual in their life. Definitely eating chocolate often. But it's funny because of all the things that we do, chocolate is the one process, the one industry, the one business model that I actually don't know a ton about. So I'd love Mm -hmm. for you to fill us in a little bit. I'm sure it could be quite extensive, but at least maybe where you are fitting in the chocolate industry. Where does it come from? How does it work? What are you trying to do? Um, What are you trying to do differently? Gotcha. Well, yeah, in a nutshell, uh, because like you said, it can't get extensive. (laughs) Um, You know that Netflix... I don't know. Can I say Netflix on here? Absolutely. Netflix, okay. call us. <laughs> All right, cool. I know. Call me. Hey. So there's a uh, documentary on Netflix and it kind of talks about like, it goes into different industries and it shows behind the scenes and like all the inequities that exist. I think the first episode was about bees. Um, another episode, they did like uh, those quick cash loan places. And you're watching these shows and you're just like, as you get deeper and deeper, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's like this. Oh my gosh, why are they doing this? Oh my gosh, there's so much greed. And the deeper you dig into the chocolate industry, you realize that it's the same thing. Mm. Um, So uh, the cocoa beans are pretty much grown in warm tropical climates um, in Ghana, 
well, West Africa, I will say, in South America, um, and about 60% of the entire world's uh, cocoa bean supply comes from two countries, Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire. So they're like neighboring countries, and 60% of the world's cocoa beans come from those two countries. Um, and while the majority of the, world, um, the world's cocoa beans come from there, uh, when you look at the breakdown of where profits go, you realize that when it comes to the breakdown of the model, only, no, I shouldn't say profits, I should say revenue. Um, it's only 6% of all the money that's made in chocolate. And it's like a 20, man, I forgot my, it's either 20 <laughs> something billion or 200 and something billion. Either way, it's an astronomical amount. And out of that entire amount, only 6% goes to the cocoa farmers. Uh, and mind you, they're doing so much work. Well, where's the rest of the money going? It's going to the middlemen. It's going to those who are processing the cocoa and it's going to the retailers. And so the cocoa farmers make so little money that they oftentimes have to take two or three other jobs just to make sure that their families are able to eat, you know, able to survive, et cetera. And so seeing that inequity exists, um, that's part of the reason why Coco Asante is here. Like we want to make a change. So our plan, there's, we have a plan on two fronts. We want to affect the cocoa industry, one by owning the entire bean to bar process. So once cocoa is grown and it's harvested and it's dried and it's fermented, it's then packaged and um, sold by the pound to the cocoa board. The cocoa board almost acts like a middleman and a lot of countries who process cocoa um, in you know a lot of Western countries and in North America, they come and they buy uh, the cocoa from the cocoa board. And then they take that chocolate and then they, you know, process it themselves. And that whole processing is extensive and it's expensive. Um, and then the retailers purchase it wholesale and then they make the chocolate products. So right now we're pretty much a retail. We don't have the equipment to process the chocolate um, ourselves, but we want to. And once we're, be, we're able to be being the bar, I want to actually directly source from my family's farm and, and, and then as we grow from, you know, neighboring farms, um, how we make a difference by paying more money to the farmers like it should be, right? It's a simple solution. Um, so that's one way that we want to affect change. The second way, Ghana recently took a stand against, I believe it was Switzerland. So Ghana came and said, Hey, like, you know, our farmers aren't making enough money. Um, we're going to raise the, the minimum price to this certain amount. Um, y'all can afford it. It's not that much. You know, just, we're not asking for, we're not, they're not even asking honestly for what they're worth. You know what I'm saying? If 60% is coming from this country, like they have a whole, anyways, let me not get too <laughs> deep into it. But so they, they didn't even ask for that much. And Switzerland was like, no. And so the president of Ghana, was so proud of him. There was a diplomatic meeting and he was just like, you know, we've tried, you know, blah, blah, blah. We've had these great relations, but from here on out, Ghana will no longer export chocolate to your country. And we're going to add, I, girl, I was so, pr- I yeah. think I shed tears. He's like, we're going to um, process the chocolate ourselves in our own country. We're going to add value to the product. And then we're going to export the product ourselves. There's a lot that goes into that. Um, and Ghana is still developing the infrastructure to be able to do it. Um, but I'm so, 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 so proud that they took a stand against a large co- uh, country and such a wealthy country like Switzerland. Um, because oftentimes when, you know, countries like Ghana, um, take a stand for themselves, rightfully so, they're met by so many sanctions. And so I'm proud that they're able to, we're able to stand up regardless of what the consequence may be and say, hey, like, 
you guys didn't value us as we should have been valued. Um, and so we're going to do it ourselves. So the second part aspect of what uh, Coco Asante wants to do is we want to build a processing plant in Ghana, um, and process chocolate back at home as well. Um, and it'll be, it'll be the same company, but kind of separate. So I guess Coco Sunday will be like the North American con- uh, company and then we'll register. We've actually registered another company. It's the same name with different spelling, different, slightly different logo um, in Ghana. And we're getting, you know, ready to take the steps on, you know, taking back, taking back what's rightfully ours. Oh, yes. Okay. Couple like weird little questions. One, the bean board. Is that a government board? In Ghana? Um, from what I understand, man, I don't even know. I don't know if it's private or government government owned. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess that's something that I need to figure out because I'm still learning about right. how things run in Ghana. Sure, sure. So, okay. And then that's one thing. And then two, are you able to buy around the bean board? So when I first started this, the, my mom told me the answer was no. Yeah. But uh, I believe that I'm able to mm-hmm. um, directly source it myself. So that I, exactly, exactly. And so if, because a lot of the farmers, like, it's not like they have access to the companies themselves, right? And so what happens is you're selling, you're selling whatever you harvested. And then they, the cocoa board gets to decide, like, okay, this is high quality chocolate. We're only going to sell this amount. Or if it's going to a company like, um, like a, a larger company that doesn't really make high quality chocolate. Um, like M&M. They often just, yeah, let's just put this like <laughs> They just mix a, a conglomerate of different, like cocoa beans, yeah. it doesn't matter. The quality, it doesn't matter. Um, and then they sell that. Um, and so sometimes the farmers, like they can't, they're, the, what they harvest is not enough for them to take to a company themselves. Sure. And like I said, they don't have the connects. But if we come in and we're saying, hey, no, like we're specifically looking for you guys. Um, and, also, hey, this is my cousin. Like my cousin yeah. is the one who runs our farm, so we have that direct contact to be like, okay, we're just going to get it directly from you. You don't have to go and sell it by by weight um, and under be undercut, right? We're going to pay you more than what you double what you're getting, triple what you're getting. Oh, I hope that doesn't make the bean board angry. <laughs> I hope so. Like I don't see. I don't know what I'm going against, but like. With without the if it wasn't for the pandemic, I, I had planned to yeah. know, make a trip in 2020, 2021 um, to just learn and see what 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 all I could do. Um, but that's been Soon. Kind of held back. And so we're more so focusing on growing it on this end um, and building that demand so that when we go back home, it's like, OK, like, no, we're, we're ready to launch. Like we need, you know, several tons, not just, you know, kilograms. But we need several tons of chocolate um, to be shipped to us, you know. Wonderful. Okay. So you then, well, okay. A couple things. Let's like recap. So Ghana is wanting to build processing into how it is that they are sort of packaging up chocolate mm-hmm. and shipping it out. So it's not just raw chocolate right from the farm. Mm-hmm. And you are wanting, are you wanting to build your processing in Ghana too? Or are you wanting to build your processing here in America? So I'm planning on doing both. Love um, it. Yeah. Yes. So at first I just wanted to process here um, and have people, you know, come in and tour the facility, see how we, you know, see how we make chocolate, yep. learn about the industry, and then the same chocolate they saw being processed they're eating, right? So that's part of the plan. Um, but then the what I want to do in Ghana is more so gonna be like the chocolate that we process is gonna be wholesale. Because I also know it's very important that Ghana's really um processing 
in-house, adding that value. Um, and so what we sell here is going to be more so retail, um, you know, little coverture chocolate, bonbons, bars, really delicate pieces. But then what we do in Ghana is going to be, we're going to be wholesaling. And so when, um, you know, chocolatiers and other pastry chefs are looking for a chocolate brand, they can come get that from us in Ghana. Oh, I love what that does because that really does take out several of the middlemen. If no one is processing Mm -hmm. in Ghana, but let's say you are a chocolatier, 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 Mm -hmm. chocolatier, chocolatier, chocolatier. Huh. I think I just made restaurateur and chocolatier the same thing. Yes. Um, so, okay. So you're a chocolatier here. You want Ghana beans. You have mm-hmm. to go not to Switzerland, but to some other like third country, second, third, third country to get because they're processing it, correct? You can't go to Ghana and get processed beans. You have to go to the where, wherever is processing Ghana beans to mm-hmm. get Ghana chocolate. Yeah, for the most part. There's nice. there are I think there's there's one large company in Ghana right now, I believe. Or maybe there's three. It's not very many that mm-hmm. actually processes okay. chocolate yeah. um in Ghana. Um but there like I said, there there's not very many. Yeah. Um and so we wanna kind of be a part of that change because cocoa beans are it's our number one export. So the fact that there's so few companies that process chocolate yeah. Is kind of um, it's a little alarming. So yeah, right now the the cocoa beans that we source right now are from Ghana, but like you said, we have to go through a third party. Mm-hmm. So I'm because I want it to be processed, and so I'm going through a company that's based out in Europe to get cocoa beans from Ghana, yeah. and that's that's I don't I'm still getting cocoa beans from Ghana, but to me that's like it's it's. I'm not there yet. It's you know? silly. And so that's how I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm working as fast as I possibly can, trying to grow as much as I can so that I can just cut that out as yeah. fast as possible and just go directly to the source. Oh, wonderful. I love all this, but also, whoa, and good luck. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that is a lot. But like, but I totally see why all of that matters. And, and across the board, right? It matters mm-hmm. for the farmers in Ghana. It mm-hmm. matters for... The Ghanaian, 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 thank you. The Ghanaian economy in general to have more of that money staying in the country. It does for anyone here wanting to source those beans. You actually get Mm -hmm. to go to the source to source those beans. Exactly. Um, And I also just love that you are doing this too. From this place of legacy, if we can move into the next topic too, because for you, it is so much more than just coffee. This is what your family has been doing mm-hmm. for generations. So I would love yes. to hear from you then, like the next piece of this puzzle in terms of your family legacy and really why it is that you are in chocolate now. Mm-hmm. So... You know, like I said before about my mom telling me that our, our family grew cocoa. Um, we grow a lot of other things, but that's like one of the main things that we grow. And um, just knowing that, you know, we do that, but it's not enough to sustain, to, you know, sustain those of us who rely on it. My cousin who manages our farm, like he also has another job and he also grows other crops. And so um, this is really personal. You know what I'm saying? And, um, now what I'm doing is not just for my family, but I also want to make change in Ghana. So it's also like the cultural legacy that I have being, being a Ghanaian, um, and loving my country. I want to see it progress. And so that I want to have that impact that have that change 
or what am I saying? Make an impact. (laughs) Sorry. So I want to make an impact um, and affect change and, and leave that legacy. And then now that I have, you know, a daughter of my own, I want her to be able to, you know, she's born in America. She's not born in Ghana, but we speak the language to her. You know, we try to main, you know, she eats the food. And so I want her to have deeper ties to home with what we do as a family, you know, with the family business. Um, I really want us, like I said, extend what my family does. We don't just grow your cocoa beans, but we process it and we create the, you know, the beautiful end product. Um, and you, the customer, as the customer, you know that, um, we've had control of the whole entire process. We're giving you a high quality product and you know that it's fair trade, it's sustainable. There was no child labor involved. Um, and so you really feel good about what you're what you're consuming. It's it's a quality product that tastes delicious and you can feel good about. You might have heard me talk about CRM platforms in the past and wondered what the heck is she talking about? Well, a CRM platform takes any customer interaction, like a sell from your website or clicking on your weekly newsletter, and transforms that data into valuable insights. Insights like when do my customer shop and do my emails really get opened more on a Monday? A HubSpot CRM platform is ready to help connect the dots between your business and your customers like never before. HubSpot is consistently working to make its products more connected than ever. Improved forecasting tools give you a bird's eye view of your entire pipeline to see what's around the corner. See how your quarter is going, inspect new deals, and use customizable data-driven reports to improve team performance as you grow. With custom behavioral events, you can get into the details of what makes your customers tick. Track site behavior and understand your customers' buying habits all within the platform. Learn more about how a HubSpot CRM platform can help connect the dots for your business at HubSpot.com. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being your own boss, but it's likely that trying to figure out your financials on your own isn't one of those things. Luckily, there's FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like you. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business, from building and tracking invoices to organizing expenses and managing online payments, and automates and simplifies them, saving you up to 11 hours a week in the process. Just think, what would you do with an additional 11 hours a week? Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter beingboss in the how did you hear about us section. And I remember something too that you mentioned during the session that I was sitting in a couple of months ago, and you were talking about how farmland is handed down from generation Mm -hmm. to generation. Can you speak on that a little bit? Because y'all, this is great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So when again, my mom is just, man, she just tells me all these great things. So she was explaining to me how um, family inheritance. So anything that you can inherit from your family comes um, through the maternal line. So in Ghana, we value everything is, it's a matriarchal society. We value women. And I mean, you'll even see that uh, Ghanaian women have some of the highest rates of entrepreneurship, you know? And so she was telling me that family land is passed down through women. And so for example, she and her sister have inherited basically all the family's like land. Um, like anybody in the family can use the land. You know, we have hundreds of acres. You can live on the land, you can build your house, whatever you want. But the name of the, it's in, it's in our family name and they're the only ones who have any legal claim to it. 
And um, so if my mom, she's had two sons and then she's had me a daughter. My brothers can't lay any claim to the land. Only I can. And then if my brothers have daughters, they can't lay any claim to the land because they came through my brothers. So the fact that I have a daughter is really important, especially as a first, firstborn. She can lay claim to what I can claim, which is what was passed down to me from my mom. And so looking at our, our family, we have my mom has so many siblings, but there are so few women who can claim it. On her generation, it's just her and her sister. Um, my In my generations, there's only three of us, me and my two cousins. And then in my, actually, no, me and my one cousin. And then in my daughter's generation, there's three of them. So my daughter and her two cousins. And so, I mean, you're looking at three generations and there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's only seven women in three generations who can claim all this land. And I mean, we have so many family members. And so that's another reason why it was important for me to start Coco Asante because I'm doing something with what was passed down to us, right? We have the land, we have the cocoa farm, and now some of some of the land is just sitting there being unused. Well, why don't we expand what we do and really make it a family-like business, something that really ties into our roots, really ties into our land. So from all these different aspects, like Cocoa Center really just kind of tied in everything um, from my family to my culture, to my background, to my roots, everything um, is just reflected in Cocoa Asante. And I love how Coco Asante also takes something that has been a family business, it sounds like, for generations, right? This farmland. And you're literally turning it into an international empire. <laughs> I'm trying. Oh, my goodness. I'm trying. Just low-key like that. I'm hoping that I can do it in one generation. <laughs> like, if I can accomplish this in one generation, I mean, who knows where my kids can take this, yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I, I why not? <laughs> like, why, why yeah. couldn't you do that thing? I think I, I'm so inspired by that story for so many reasons. And really, the most of which is that you've allowed it to inspire you so much, right? That you, even though you, you no longer live there, um, you are still so connected to it that you were literally making your like life decisions around staying mm-hmm. connected to it. And adding to it, which I find yeah. truly inspiring. So from all of that, like, what does legacy mean to you? Like, what is like fueling you on the inside <laughs> to show up in this way? And and how does it affect, you know, your decision making and how it is that you are moving forward down this path? Man, ooh, that's such a deep question. Let me make sure I can <laughs> tell all aspects about it. Um, so to me, you know, growing up, honestly, I'm not going to, legacy didn't really mean much yeah. to me. Like I knew I was from Ghana. I knew we spoke the language. We ate the food at home, but I didn't really want to kind of do much with it. I was kind of, I would almost say sometimes I didn't like the legacy my parents left me. The fact that I was an immigrant, the mm-hmm. fact that I wasn't from this country, the fact that we ate different foods. Um, sometimes you're especially as a, as a kid, you know, high school, middle school, elementary school, like you're made fun of for being different, right? The color of your skin, how dark it is, the different foods that you eat. Um, you know, so I really shied away from my legacy, my heritage, who I was. And it wasn't until I actually went to an HBCU Spelman College, shout out, um, <laughs> that, <laughs> but honestly, it changed my life. And I really started to embrace who I was and really appreciate where I'm from. And, um, you know, 
I that's when I also started to recognize what all my parents left me. You know, they didn't have a million dollars in the bank to leave me an inheritance. Um, they came to this country. They sacrificed literally everything. They started from scratch. Um, they went back to school. And so I recognized as I went to, as I got into college, I recognized what all they left, what all they gave to me, um, the legacy that they left me. Um, and so then I started to embrace that. And once I embraced that, I think that's when the ball really got started rolling and, okay, I'm embracing my legacy. How do I build upon it? Um, and then once I had a, you know, a child myself, then it became all the more important. Like, no, you, you cannot fail. You cannot stop because it's so much bigger than me. You know, it was before, you know, it was for my family, but now I can, I can see, and I can look into my daughter's eyes and I see who exactly I'm doing this for, right? I don't want her to have some of the same struggles that um, we've had being that first, first um, generation. So a lot of times when I talk to some of my friends who you know, we were kind of raised here, but we were born in Ghana. Our parents came here and they were that first generation and they had to start all over. So they gave us opportunity. We're that next generation and we've had opportunity. We've we've taken advantage of the opportunity and now we've started the process of building. And so now I have to build enough so that my daughter has like a running head start um, and she can continue to build upon the foundation that I've laid. And so that's how I see legacy. Um it's just something that I just continue to build on from what generations before me have done. And it's something that I'm excited to see continue to grow even after I've taken a step back. Oh, you did a great job answering that question. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> great job. I appreciate that. Oh, okay. So you've talked a lot about family legacy, which I'm so glad that you have access to that for a lot of listeners. And I remember this being part of the conversation at that session was you prompt us all to sit and think about like what our legacies were. And we all sat there and we were like, you know, misogyny and <laughs> like, like all these all like, you know, white supremacy and like all these like awful things that look. like, right. <laughs> we look at mm-hmm. our generations before us, like not a lot to be proud of. <laughs> We get down to it. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine there's probably a lot of listeners and like my hand is totally raised. I remember thinking like, I hate this question. Like I don't, I can't mm-hmm. even think about this. And I remember talking to you about it afterwards and you talking, you sort <laughs> putting me at peace with this idea that, you know, family legacy is not the only legacy there is. So I'd love to hear mm-hmm. your take on that. So yours is obviously a very strong family legacy, but what other kinds of legacy can we can we connect ourselves with to give us that, um, give us that like passion and like, I don't know, follow throughness that you mm-hmm. have found with yours? Yeah. So I guess in a way, even though like, like my, I have this family legacy, but like you said, it's not the only type of legacy you can have. Um, and I remember like in that room, some of the things that people are bringing up, sometimes legacy can just be something really, really small. Um, but it's like a, it's like a little tie that just carries through. Mm-hmm. And Mine's cornbread. Yeah. Cornbread. <laughs> I mean, somebody brought up quilting. Yeah. Um, just little, or, or the language, you know, continuing to speak it, um, to their kids. Um, another, one legacy that I, I guess, well, let me say it like this. People also brought up legacies that aren't positive, that they're breaking. 
And I thought that was a great way to look at things. And I think like when you said, you know, misogyny and white supremacy, just people rec- recognizing that not all legacies are good and that you don't have to follow through. I think that's even sometimes just as important, if not more than what you actually continue to do. Um, my one thing personal that me and my husband are really um, intentional about is leaving a legacy like of, of love and affection. Um, growing up, my parents didn't really show love. Like they, I knew they loved each other, but I mean, they ended up divorced. So, you know, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> but like we didn't see effect. I think I saw my dad hug my mom one time in my entire life. That's the most affection I've ever seen my parents show. And so for us, we're very intentional about in front of my daughter. We're always saying, I love you. We're hugging. We're, we're, we're just always loving on each other, you know, cause I want her to, to feel that. Um, my husband, one of the, the legacies that he's breaking, which I guess you can call generational curses. Um, so his great grandfather was born in, we say 1931. His grandfather was born in 1951. His dad was born in 1971 and he was born in 1991. So they were all born 20 years apart. Right. So yeah. And for the most part, they were all born out of wedlock at 20 years old. And so he was very adamant about, I'm not going to have a child at 20. I'm going to break that legacy and I want to be married before I have my first child. And he did. And so that was a legacy that he broke that was very important to him. And he's he's building this, we're building this this beautiful legacy of, of like I said, of love um, in our home. And so when I think of different types of legacies, I think of legacies, not just the big ones, but the small ones that carry through like language, like like hobbies that you continue to do, um, like recipes that you pass on, but then also those legacies and those curses that you're intentional about breaking. Mm, yep. And he's your, be reminded of that breaking one. I feel like, and I feel like that is probably the work of our generation, right? In exactly. a lot of ways is to break <laughs> a million mm-hmm. and a half different little legacies that all need to be one brought into awareness. Oh, That's we right. keep doing this thing, right? Whatever yeah. it may be. Two, how can we break it? And also, I love how this is also what you're wanting to do with Coco Asante, too, right? You are also Mm. seeing a long line of legacies that need to be broken and restructured so that they function better. Oh, wow. Girl, yes. You're the first person that said it like that. That's beautiful. Thank you. Damn, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? This is very much so, I think, like some of your really important work here, which is why I had to get you, why I had to get you here to talk about this. So then my recommendation, anyone listening to this, is think about what those legacies are for yourself and not just your family, because I know for a lot of people that can bring up a lot of things. A lot of trauma and triggers. Indeed. But also, what are those legacies that you want to break? And then also find the legacies that you are continuing for, maybe that have nothing to do with bloodlines, right? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, us showing up as, for us, women entrepreneurs, what Mm -hmm. legacy are we building upon and moving forward with? Um, What do we want to break and leave behind and, you know, restructure into something new? Um, Or even in your specific industry, right? You are are working in a legacy of chocolate, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Of like in the chocolate industry, what are you going to take forward, um, build upon, make better? And what are you going to break down and completely restructure or leave behind altogether? Um, It's funny. I think, you know, in a new industry, something like podcasting here for me, that's an interesting one. I'm gonna have to think about that one. But I definitely think that there are ways that we can all sort of put ourselves in a like, 
in a thread, right? Or as a thread in a legacy and decide, we get to decide how we want to continue forward one way or the other. That's right. Mm. Mm. Ella, this is so good. Okay. Let's go back to chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) If we may, Um, I would love to hear from you what some of your next steps are. Basically, like you have, you've connected yourself with what it is you want to do and how it is you want to do it. Um, COVID, you know, well, I would say COVID aside, but we can't, it's here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that definitely has mm-hmm. some things um, or has done some things in your plans. But what, what are you planning to do next? What are your next steps? Um, So next steps, really just to finish out the year strong. Yeah. We're getting ready for the busiest season. Uh, next year, my goal is to uh, have, you know, some, of course, financial goals to, hey, I want to make enough so that I can go full time. My business partner can go full time. We can hire more people. Um, we can start to look at getting, or start to raise money to get the equipment that we need to be being to bar. And then um, even start looking at breaking into new markets. Like we're growing in Chattanooga, but, um, you know, Chattanooga is not a large city. It's not a large enough city for us to grow as we need to. So, of course, like we want it to be our main, you know, our flagship location. Um, but we do want to break into, you know, Atlanta, you know, why not? L.A., New York. Um, and then, of course, we're always in the background working in Ghana to see. Uh, it's just, it's a slow, slow process. But, you know, working in Ghana to see um, how we can start to build on that front. Oh, well, you just let me know every step of the way. I'll, I taste test. Yeah, yes, ma'am. I'm good for that. <laughs> <laughs> Filling up everybody's stockings with chocolate for sure. Um, perfect. Well, Ella, it has been a complete and utter pleasure to have you here sharing all of this with bosses. I hope that everyone gets some good little takeaways um, for continuing on your path, whatever that may be. Um, but I think the biggest question is where can people buy chocolate? <laughs> well, what a great question. Um, and I guess before I answer that, I just want to also say, you know, thanks for having me. This was it was a lot, it was great for me too. You know, I think just being able to speak about certain things, um, just help, you know, the vision become a little clearer. So I really appreciate that. I'm um, such a great moderator. Um, great Thanks. podcast host. Uh, yeah. So, um, but as for where you can buy Coco Santa, you can always buy it on our website. We do ship, we deliver, we're at our local markets. And the website is www.cocoasante, that's spelled C-O-C-O-A-A-S-A-N-T-E.com. And uh, we do ship during uh, late fall to early spring. So uh, we don't ship in the summer. So uh, yeah, catch us on our website. And like I said, we're heading to our busy season. Don't wait till the last minute to order your gifts because it may not make it. So please, 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 if you're going to order, order early. Awesome. Perfect. And my last question is always my favorite and always the sneaky surprise one. Uh-oh. This is a good one. <laughs> Ella, what these days is making you feel most boss? Oh, my goodness. Most boss. Um, Man, this is a good surprise. <laughs> um, um, Honestly, it may not seem like it, but honestly, being a mom... Is making me feel most boss only because motherhood just motherhood is the hardest head to be a part of, but it also shows you just how much you're able to do 
and it lights a fire under you that you didn't know you you needed or that you even had. Like I didn't know I had the strength to do what I did until I real until I became a mom. Um, a mom. And um, yeah, so motherhood makes me realize that I'm being a boss. Like, you know, taking my daughter to meetings with me and saying, hey, my daughter's here with us and we're still going to have this meeting. And if you don't like it, then she and I are both going to leave. That like, that makes me feel like a boss being able to stand up for women in in all aspects because we're so multifaceted. You know, we show up to meetings, but we're we're, we're a mom. We're taking care of our home. We're running the household. We're we're having those other full-time jobs. And so being a mom allows me to kind of show showcase that if that makes sense so, yeah it does yes oh wonderful great answer ella this has been a pleasure i cannot wait to see you irl soon yes um yes. also eat chocolate always um yes this has been a pleasure thanks for coming to chat with me awesome thank you for having me of course All right, boss, because you're here, I know you want to be a better creative business owner, which means I've got something for you. Each week, the team at Being Boss is scouring the news, the best entrepreneurial publications and updates and releases of the apps and tools that run our businesses and is curating it all into a weekly email that delivers the must know tips and tactics in the realms of mindset, money and productivity. This email is called Brood. We brew it up for you each week to give you the insight you need to make decisions and move forward in your creative business. Check it out now and sign up for yourself at beingboss.club slash brood. That's beingboss.club slash B-R-E-W-E-D. Now, until next time, do the work, be boss. Yeah.